Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You all know my love for the platform of LinkedIn and... I came across our guests in my newsfeed. I love what they're doing. So we're going to ask you to pull up a chair, get that cup of coffee, and we're going to gather around the campfire today because I'm about to introduce you to two amazing entrepreneurs, Steve Arntz and Megan Galloway. Let me tell you a little bit about them both. Steve has spent the last six years of his life looking for a way to help companies develop strong culture. He believes that when you invest in the development and success of the people, that that is how you really take things to a deep, human-centered approach to solve problems. If that is not a candidate to be on this podcast, I don't know what is. Megan has spent the last 10 years, or the first 10 years, rather, of her career working with incredible teams and companies. And she says that she found a niche in building learning and development programs from the ground up that have never been done before. Her programs have been recognized in the top 25 globally in the talent development program. And having the two of them together, you're going to see as this interview unfolds, They're going to be a lot of fun to be around the campfire with. So pull up a chair and welcome Steve and Megan. Thanks for having us, Deb. It's great to be here. I'm getting goosebumps and I haven't even started the questions. Let's talk about gathering around the campfire. I was a camp kid. Like talk about bringing you back seated in a childhood memory. We all went to camp. So my first leadership question is, you talk about the campfire being an immersive leadership development program that helps build better managers. How did you guys come together? How did you come up with this name? And where is the comfort around the campfire? When it comes to this company, we started at the very beginning of the pandemic. And we actually found a large number of people were starting to form book clubs inside of companies. And so we actually supported companies in being able to do that in a, in a very deliberate and intentional way that would help people to connect and learn from each other. And we had a different name when we started. And there's a woman named Marin Pearson who joined us in the early days of Campfire. And she had never done a brand project, but we asked her if she would rebrand our company. And she took us through a day of discussion where we talked about the emotions that we wanted our customers to feel as they engaged with our company. And we found as we took a step back from that list of emotions that they were related to gathering and coming together. And so Marin's ideas for our brand were all centered around places to gather, campfire, picnic table, porch swing, all of these different gathering places where people connect. Those were her ideas. And we just immediately fell in love with this name campfire. If you think about a campfire as a camp kid, there's just so much, I mean, obvious warmth, but then also the warmth that you feel from the people that you're connecting with as well. 
And when you start a campfire, everybody goes and gathers things and there's this collaborative energy to it. And then you light the match and it starts and it usually blares out real big at first. And so you're out distant from the fire and then it starts to simmer down a little bit and you get in closer and closer and closer. And then you start to maybe use the fire to cook some things together. And then the conversation starts and maybe it starts fast, but then it goes, it starts to slow down. And then you start to reflect and that's the moment you start to really connect you know, telling stories and, and sharing vulnerable experiences and all of those sorts of things. And so as we think about the metaphor that is a campfire and as we deliver these campfire sessions, that's what we're looking for is for an opportunity to bring your experiences, gather the firewood, bring it together. And then as things slow down, share your experiences in a really open, you know, heart centered, vulnerable way that allows you to learn from each other. I just want to jump in and say, I love how you framed the intrinsic part of the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, the people with the extrinsic, you know, under the sky of stars, the campfire, how we light it. It's an accelerant in the beginning. And then, you know, as everyone settles in and, and the alignment and the metaphor of developing trust and rapport and sharing, it just brings me right back the way you described that to being that little kid at camp. And that's what it was like. And then looking back to connect the dots of how it just so beautifully is the mix equally of intrinsic and extrinsic value. It's beautiful. Thank you, Deb. I think Megan does have a lot of experience with this, particularly, I mean, I think it's part of what brought us together for sure. So I'd love to hear her thoughts on her experiences that led to her just kind of falling in love with Campfire as well. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah, I think what really drew me to Campfire is the idea that people could come bring their real, genuine, vulnerable selves to a place where they could connect with each other and learn from each other. And through the last decade of spending time in HR and talent development, I've seen that the most powerful learning experiences happen when people are connecting with each other, when they're really learning from each other instead of like an instructor in front of the room. So a lot of the learning and development programs that I've built in the past have focused around similar ideals as what Campfire is building. And when I left my last corporate job and started my own business, my goal was to bring that sort of a feeling to as many places as I could. And then I met Campfire and our mission and values are so closely aligned. So it felt like I could add a little bit of, of fuel to the flame, so to speak, not no pun intended, but um, just really be able to help bring more access to more managers that really need to have a safe space for these types of conversations that can really help them grow and help prepare them for things. In a lot of instances, in a lot of companies, they just don't have access to that type of thing right now. It's so true. And I think it's one of the blessings or the positivities that I'm pulling out of unprecedented times. I don't want to use the P word. I don't want to, I don't want to say the C word. I just like calling it unprecedented. And regardless of what your role or title is, I think heart-centered leadership belongs to us all. And as we continue to navigate, just to pull in, you know, the great resignation boom and you making the decision to leave your role. I think people's vulnerability and courage have been risen to a level that they never thought they would get to. And I'm sure if we had a separate conversation, Megan, you finally decided to take the leap for whatever reason. Glad you did. And I'm in a cohort right now with a creative group because I think we have to continue to evolve as human beings. And we're all a work in progress. We're not the role. We're not the title. We're not the list of responsibilities. And when we get in a cohort like that, 
we learn so much from each other, but it's the stories. It's the life lessons because we can't change who we are at this time in space, but we can continue to evolve. And I think it really helps us look back and connect the dots. So it's a very powerful offering and modality that you've got to and developed. And we're going to talk about that. My second question has permanent residency on the show. So over 170 leaders have answered this. It brings a lot of laughter. I always get, Deb, how much time do we have? So I would like each of you to share with us what imperfections, hence the name of the show, do you both bring to your heart-centered leadership? That's a great question, Deb. I would say for me, my imperfection is the curse of wanting perfection. I really struggle with the thought of needing things to be perfect. And I've realized a lot, particularly over the last few years, but especially over the last six months as I've made so many life changes, that perfection, it does not exist. And the best thing that we can do is just be the best version of ourselves and try the hardest that we can at the things that we do, but that we also need to take care of ourselves in the process. Like that's something that I've learned a lot about being a a mom and going through everything that happened in unprecedented times with two toddlers at home and going through all those experiences and then starting my own business and now joining a startup. I think where my leadership, where I'm still working on it always is trying not to be so perfect because it doesn't exist. And I think that I let more people down when I try to search for that thing that doesn't really exist. Validation from other people to feel like you need others to approve of the things that you do and say, and that when they say kind things, that it gets you on this high. And when they say unkind things, that it gets you in this low. And I think that finding a way to not need that nearly as much, to be able to be whole and enough, just as you are, and to know that as you do your best, that some people will approve and some will disapprove. And it it just, it can't affect that you need to feel enough to be able to operate in the way that you think and know in some cases is right. And you won't always have a perfect approval rating. And I think that my goal has been to hit around 70% that if I'm doing great things in the world, that there's going to be a a good core group of people who just don't approve of what I'm doing. And I need that to not impact me at all. And I also, on the flip side, need to not think too highly of myself when people say nice things about me. And I need to be kind of grounded and centered. And so I think my imperfection or or my flaws, I, I can't remember the way you phrased it, but is that I rely too much on that external validation and I want others to like me. I love the rawness and the vulnerability in both of your answers. I grew up with uh, a good friend. I still talk to this day from high school. We have like a 40 plus year relationship and her dad was a Mason tradesperson. And he used to say, not everyone's going to like you. You're not pizza. You need to get over yourself. And then, and then I had the Irish Nana who used to say, When you go up on stage and talk or the lights on you, the butterflies are in your stomach for a reason. They're reminding you that your ego is in check. And, you know, it's like the campfire. I'm going to anchor it back. It's those nuances and those moments in time that you've engraved in your heart and they're aligned with your soul. And it's like when people say deja vu, it's not a deja vu. It's bringing us back to that moment in time to some of the things that you both have just said about yourself. We're evolving, humble human beings. But that validation piece is big. But I want to challenge you guys around the campfire right now. Maybe you're carving a new path. And sometimes validation in the negative is not a bad thing. 
if you're creating something that's not out there, I'm team campfire because I'm in the same team. And, you know, there's not new words, but there's new stories and words to come together, you know, wrapped around this beautiful thing we call language that is going to take us to new heights. And I think people bringing their whole self, courageous, messy, vulnerable, and authentic, those are the leaders of the future. Those are the leaders that are making the noise now, just like all of us on this call today. So I love it. Okay, let's talk about the campfire and how it fits into conversation and languaging and heart-centered leadership. Share with us, you've created four modalities, which we're going to put in the podcast episode description and send folks to your website. I want to pick the first one because I think you, you put them sequentially in an order. I'm on to you guys. I know how you're thinking. Foundation of trust. Trust is foundational in all relationships. And if you don't have it, you can't establish rapport. I'm sitting around the campfire learning about the foundations of trust. Give our listenership a little appetizer of what it feels like to be around that campfire and what can we expect. The trust campfire is really great. It's actually one of my favorites. And, and those four that you see on the website are, are part of uh, 24 core campfires that we offer. So those four that are on the website are ones that anyone can come to, which is really great. So it's usually a really mixed audience in these, which is nice. So we always start with a spark. We always start with something that um, helps us get to know the people that are sitting around the campfire and gets the, the conversation going. And that one in particular, it's, um, it says, if someone needs to know something about blank, they come to me. So it's all about um, sharing something about yourself that opens up that conversation. So we always talk about that first, and then we get into deeper conversations about what trust really means, what the ingredients of trust might be. As a guide in that conversation, my job is not to talk at people in the conversation. My job is to open the conversation, to create, make space and hold space for them to talk to each other. So we spend a lot of time in discussion as a, as a group, and then we go into breakouts. So I would say 80% of that, of that time together is spent them talking to each other. Um, less than 20% is me actually talking. We have something in our campfires that we call our most important outcome. There's one thing that we want you to be able to take away immediately after the campfire and take action on um, either in or right after the campfire. So something that's really important to us is giving people tools that they can actually use as part of this experience. And, uh, and Deb, one of those tools, we have a trust audit in the session. I would tell a story about it. So I facilitated this session three times in one day. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And at the time I was facilitating the session, I actually had a relationship that was in, in a challenging place. And as the facilitator, sometimes I take a break when the participants are doing some deep reflection or having conversations with each other in a breakout. But because I had a relationship that I wanted to improve, where I wanted trust to exist, I spent each of those three sessions actually working through that specific relationship through reflection and auditing some different elements of that relationship that I thought could improve. And I went into each of those three sessions thinking the other person was the problem that I needed to figure out a way to have a conversation with this person that would help them to understand the problems that they were causing. And in each of those three sessions, I chipped away further a third at a time until after the third session, I realized that I was the problem. I was able to take ownership of the relationship and identify areas where I could improve trust. And then I had 
fortuitously my one-on-one with this person a couple of hours after the third session and was able to go into that uh, discussion, take full ownership of the relationship and start to make some real meaningful progress towards establishing trust again in the relationship. And so they're powerful. They're powerful experiences where we can reflect on our, our own experience, share our own experience and identify ways that we can improve and get better immediately. How powerful is it that you were facilitating it, thought, I'm going to do a little bit of a self-audit here myself, and you were training the trainer during the self-audit. Like That's like so powerful, and it's, it just lends merit and weight back to what we were just talking about. We're humble, evolving human beings, and we have thoughts and feelings and emotions, and sometimes it's messy, but... We can always go sit in the observer's chair to look at self and such a powerful story and outcome. And I'm sure that's going to change the whole trajectory of your relationship now. Absolutely. Campfires as adults. Does it get any better than this? So fun. Okay. My last leadership question is you're fairly new. You're a startup and, and Megan alluded to that. Share with us a success moment that you got to get together on Zoom as colleagues, as as a team. Share with us the first moment where you really felt what you're doing is heart-centered, it's progressive. When did you have your first virtual high five or this team building pat on the back together? Give us a little glimpse into when that happened. I feel like I know when you're going to say that's awesome. I'm, I'm certain we're aligned, 100% certain. So we were together here in Salt Lake and Megan had come out from Kansas and she was with us for a week at this point, full time. And we went to our favorite Thai restaurant as a team. And it's just kind of this hole in the wall place that has a lot of space. It's quiet. You can really slow things down because nobody's in a rush to take your table from you. The food is good, though. And there were the six of us as leaders. And we spent two hours without talking about work one time, getting to know each other, our histories and who we are as people. At the end of this, what became a campfire around this Thai restaurant table, someone asked Megan to essentially facilitate a little bit of a campfire to close us out to close out the night and said, Megan, you get to ask each person at the table one question that will help you to get to know them better. And so she asked a a different, unique, very sort of tailored and specific question to each person around the table, the other five of us. And we learned new and incredible things about each other, grew closer together. And then she ended this campfire now around this Thai restaurant table, asking Taylor on our team, what is the proudest moment of your career? And I sat nervous because I was really, really hoping that he would say this very moment. I wanted him to say this collection of people at this table is the proudest I've ever been in my career. And it took him about 20 seconds to figure out what he was going to say. And then he said this moment right here, this collection of people at this table is the proudest I've been in my career because all of it has led to this moment and this feeling of connection and closeness and shared mission and purpose and vision and just a desire to go and do and build amazing things in the world. And, uh, you know, tears 
on my face, just thinking about all of the work that went into that moment, the ups and the downs and some fights and, you know, some, some tears and all of that. And, and just the feeling of joy of being together as a team, ready to go and create together. Got it. That was my moment too, because it, it did it. I had been with campfire for like less than a week at this point. And in those several days, I already felt more belonging and belonging is the right word with the team than I had in my whole career, just because it felt like I was exactly where I was meant to be in that moment. And it was, it was magical. It was really special. It's uh, meaningful. It's heart centered, you know, serendipitous. There's, there's lots of descriptive words, but for me, it's a joy to see the look on both your faces. One, when Steve's describing it and Megan's just locked in, and I can tell she was just aligned with everything you were saying. And what I love too, is you're in Utah and Megan's in Kansas and that virtual connection, another positive of unprecedented times. And then the opening up to be together in that restaurant and share food and two hours probably seemed like 15 minutes. So how special. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. This is the rapid fire. Do not think, tell us what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First question. Tell us one thing about yourself that we don't know. I uh, met my wife and 10 days later, we were engaged. That's a good one. I think for me, I am an avid Great British Bake Off fan. I love watching Great British Bake Off and I love baking. It's like one of my favorite things to do in my, in my me time. I did read that on your LinkedIn profile and I had a feeling you were going to bring this up. So I do want to share and doubly put out into the universe for you. You have a dream bucket list and I want to change the word bucket to life list. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that because I work in hospice. So languaging is important. When you volunteer at hospice, you have to have a bucket list. When you're like this amazing entrepreneur, let's have the dream life list. She wants to be on Brene Brown's podcast. Me too. Let's do it together. Ted Lasso, right? Household name and the great British baking show. So I join you. Baking is one of my favorite things. It's a a decompressor. And I've added in a little Spotify jazz playlist in the background just to bring it up a level while I'm baking. So I love that that is your life list. And it just shows more of your personality to me. You guys are so good. I love this. Okay, second question. A book you read that was life-changing. Who wrote it? When did you read it? How did it change you? So the reason why Brene Brown is on my life list is because her books have genuinely changed my life. The one most recently that just was so meaningful was um, Braving the Wilderness. It was something that I just read right in the moment when I needed it. And the courage to be myself and to lean into my authenticity and to find real belonging, not to try to fit in. Um, Those are things that I just needed to hear in that moment of my life. And the way that she's able to take so much incredible data about humanity 
and translate that into things that people can really use and make a difference in their lives. Like I'm Brene's number one fangirl over here. I just love it. Before you answer, Steve, and I saw your picture with Atlas of the Heart, which I'm almost done. It's heavy and it, you know, you read it and then you want to go off and do your homework or no pun intended, sit by the campfire and kind of digest this because she takes every emotion and takes you off into a, a spider web so you can connect the dots. Don't miss her special at the end of the month on HBO on Atlas of the Heart. Make sure you watch that. And I'm, I'm fangirling with you because she's messy. She's authentic. She shares her mental health. Quick side story. I think it was 2016, 2015. I was going to bring her to my city in London, Ontario, Canada. I called her agent. I found out her fees and I signed a contract. I had no idea where I was going to get that amount of money in US. And I thought, I'm jumping in. Landed a sponsor, which I knew I would. It's Brene Brown. We're going to fill the place. Go off the path. Be different. Be scared. And then she sent me the most beautiful email, Megan, and she said, They've just added 24 more cities to my book tour. I can't come. But I do believe if we're meant to meet in the future, we will. And thank you for your interest in my speaking and my books. And, and that was six years ago. And I just hold on to it like you do. If it's meant to be, it'll be. We don't have to have everything figured out, right? So I'm with you on that. Okay, Steve, your turn. I can't wait to hear. I feel like this is a hard, hard act to follow at this point. I've got books behind me, big multicolored bookshelf, and I love to read. The initial book that came to mind was extremely loud and incredibly close. So I'll just run with that. Jonathan Saffron Four. I think the reason it was so impactful to me was because when I was um, in high school, a senior in high school, that's when the attacks on the World Trade Center happened in New York. And as a senior in high school, I don't know about you, but for me, that was one of the most self-centered times of my life where the universe literally revolves around you and all you can think about is yourself and your own needs. And so I'm watching these videos from classrooms in, in high school and trying to feel things. And I'm just, I'm not feeling things. And what I'm really feeling is guilt that I don't really understand what's going on and that there's people crying and I'm not crying and there's people feeling and I'm not feeling and, and I'm wondering if I'm broken and I've never been to New York, you know, uh, or at least that I could remember. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what, what's happening? And so then 10 years later, <clears throat> I read this book and there's this child that's really experiencing this as he loses his father. And I feel all of it as if it were my dad that was lost and I'm able to, to really process something that happened so many years before and start to understand a little bit and feel empathy for, for others in their situations. And so I think that books that kind of through the power of storytelling allow you to feel things that other people feel are often my favorite. And that one in particular helps me to, really understand experiences in my life and, and process them. So I'll tell you what I love about that, that date and time in space, everybody knows where they were. I was in Megan's space. I had two little kids. 
I went back to university. I was writing my final exam. And, and this dates us when I tell you this next thing. The dean of the school came in. Very flat effect. Put your pens down. And then they wheel in these TVs on carts. You know, I'm focused. I want to write this exam and then drive two and a half hours home. And I join you as a woman in her 30s, two little girls. I was numb. I was all the feelings and then all not the feelings. So again, it's going back now that you've said this and connecting the dots. Most teenagers are self-centered. It's part of their growing. You know, boys are in development till they're 21, girls 19. And it's just so reflective to hear you describe it now, X amount of years later, and you put structure around it and maturity and experience. And it's really beautiful. I I just knew this interview was going to be like capital A with an amazing. This is a fun one. And sometimes my guests have the same answer that I have. So I always get excited when I ask this. You get to have dinner with a leader that you want to meet. Now, this leader could be living or they could be passed away. Who are you meeting with for dinner? And what is the dinner conversation? And Megan, you can't use Brene Brown. You got to do another one, okay? I'm going to qualify that. So we'll let Steve go first. Who's the leader? What are you talking about? We ask this question around the campfire a lot. Who would you like to have dinner with? But we don't qualify it with leader. And so now I'm, I'm like off my game here a little bit. So let me think for a minute. You know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with my answer anyway. Go with your answer. Let's have it. Because I think this person is a leader. So the person that I really would love to have dinner with is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And uh, I mean, a leader is someone who has followers. And I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda has millions upon millions of followers who are watching what he does and and what he puts into the world and listening to the stories that he tells and the stories that he tells in so many different mediums are really compelling stories and moving and, and life changing and people changing and his focus on telling as well as he can diverse stories that help us to see ourselves in the world at scale, meaning many people see themselves in his stories as he shared through Moana and through Hamilton and through uh, now Encanto. And he's just impacted my thinking in so many ways. And I would just love to sit and listen to him talk about the power of storytelling and the impact that it can have on leadership. I mean, the first time I encountered him, I had heard about Hamilton and I didn't want to listen to it before seeing it live and in person, but I did watch one video and that was him at the White House in front of Barack and Michelle Obama, trying out some of the the music from Hamilton for the first time on a public stage in front of the president and having that video go viral afterwards and and lead to so many different things. And so I just think that the power of storytelling for leaders is just really, really important. That's a great answer. For me, 
this person is fictional, but I'd like to meet the real life person of this as well, which is probably not surprising to you, Deb, but Ted Lasso would be my person or Jason Sudeikis, either one. Um, that whole, in fact, if I could just have a big group dinner, that would be amazing. Like the whole writing crew over there. And um, I just, I've listened to Brene's podcast with Jason and with others from the show. And it's incredible the way that they have just made something so real, so connectable, if that's a word, um, just very raw, but also just very funny. And I love the way that they're able to take some really intense subjects, like what Brene writes about, and make it just really accessible for so many people to start to think about. So I'm also slightly biased because Jason Stakus is from Kansas City. He went to the same high school as my mom. So he's just an amazing person. And I would love to sit down with him and hear like, how did that all unfold? Like, how did you make the decisions to bring all of these different the psychologists work into the writing room in that type of a context for a comedy? Like, I would just love to know how all that played out. Those are our two really good leaders and they have not been named on the show. So this is what I love. And I love what you said too, Steve, like, who says you can't be a leader? It's our birthright. So there's been leaders on this show that have grade eight education and are making nine figures. There's leaders that have their BA and lots of postgraduate work and have gone on to do one, if not multiple PhDs. So it's owning your story, connecting those dots and just being who you are. Like to me, that's being a leader. It's not your initials. It's not any of the extrinsic stuff because the great resignation boom is showing us those types of leaders and the leaders who have kind of decided to jump in the pool of complacency. It's not working anymore. And people have a voice and have built courage and it's visceral and it's beautiful to see. And that is Again, another positive element of this unprecedented time we're still navigating. So before I ask my last question and we close out the show, I'm so glad that I reached out to gather around this little campfire with both of you. I think what you're doing is brilliant. I join you on my log around that campfire. I think we're in similar spheres. I love that we have individual offerings And I look forward to continued conversations with both of you. So from my heart to yours, thank you for your time, your insights, and your expertise. Thanks for having us, Deb. My pleasure. Great way to start a day. Okay, here's how we close out. I'm going to ask you both to finish this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? For me, it's showing up as your whole self and creating space for other people to show up as their whole selves. And as long as we're making those connections, real, genuine, vulnerable connections with other people, then the sky's the limit. It's making the person or people in front of you the most important thing. And you go throughout the day with different people in front of you. And caring for them is the most important thing because so much of the work that we do at the end of the day, doesn't capital M matter sometimes, you know, we, we have to put food on the table. We have to have a business. It has to run. It has to work. And so because it doesn't capital M matter, what matters is like my kids at home, my family, my community, 
solving some of the real problems in the world, you know, especially as we see like Ukraine and, and everything that's happening there, like that capital M matters. And so as we go to work, what we have to make matter is the person right in front of us. And almost all the work we do, we have a person right in front of us and you have to care for that person. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.